Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with filmmaker Chris Kelly. He's a photographer. He's also a documentarian and, and, and a guy who has a whole lot to say about a little bit of everything. He's working on, I believe, a new film and right now doing sort of the film festival circuit, talking about his uh, award-winning film, uh, A Cambodian Spring. And as you know, uh, certainly a, a topic that right, right up my alley, uh, Cambodia, filmmaking, uh, politics and power and so on. And so we talk about um, uh, what, what, what engaged Buddhism is really all about. We talk about this idea of, of uh, being a, or becoming a multimedia monk and the venerable Sovat and how he's been able to do that. We talk about this as being a, a, a nine-year passion project for, for Chris. And, and, and we talk about things like solidarity and, and corrupt governments. We talk about there's no such thing as an either or, or simple narratives in life. You know, uh, this, this, this beautiful quote, see it, film it, change it, photographs as symbols and, and what it really means to, to be stronger together. So stay tuned. Uh, you're going to want to catch the film. It is moving around uh, through, uh, throughout the world at different film festivals. It was here in Toronto in April for hot docs. And as I said, it won the special jury prize there as international feature documentary. So stay tuned. Chris Kelly coming right up face to face live, uh, .ca for more of my own podcasting, davidpecklive.com for information about my public speaking and writing. And don't forget rabble.ca for more information about uh, podcasts there, not only mine but others as well, and and Patreon.com. You can you can find it on the website if you're interested in getting behind uh, what I'm doing and helping uh, us out as we continue to build out face to face live. And we're going into the Toronto International Film Festival in the next few weeks, so stay tuned for some pretty exciting interviews coming up. Chris Kelly on the way. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today. Chris Kelly is here with us. He's a filmmaker and uh, an editor and a photographer, and we're here today to talk about his uh, new film, his new documentary, A Cambodian Spring. Chris, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hi, David. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Uh, we've had one heck of a time connecting uh, digitally. Now, part of that is that you're from Ireland, but living in London. Is that right? 
That's correct. Yeah. Is it just because you're Irish that we've had such a tough time connecting, Chris? Or <laughs> it may be. Yeah, it's that <laughs> and, uh, trying to make a film on your own and and have a look after a young kid and all the rest of it. That's the the trials of life, I guess. Yeah. Well, clearly we both lead very busy lives. And what's exciting? And first, out right out of the gate, congratulations on the film. I mean, Hot Docs, uh, you won an award. You're it's it, it, the film's getting recognized, needs to be seen. So, congrats. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate it. I hope it gets seen far and wide. Yeah, and I, I personally loved it. And as, as you probably know through our emails, and and uh, I think we were even corresponding when I was last in Cambodia, and most of my listeners know I've got a bit of a passion for the country and the people. So so you caught my eye right out of the gate with, with the name of the film, and I didn't actually get to see it at Hot Docs, unfortunately. But uh, And you were in town for that as well. Tell me, how, how did the festival pan out for you? The festival was amazing. Yeah, I mean, oh, it good. was such such a, a refreshing festival to go to. It was huge. There was queues and queues of people queuing up in the rain and the in the Toronto weather to to, to see documentaries. Um, the response and the reception for the film was amazing. The festival was able to bring myself and the one of the key uh, contributors, the Venerable Suvat, over as well for the Q and A's afterwards. And he had such a, a brilliant, warm response from from the audience. It was very, uh, it was a excellent platform uh, to launch the film. We were very fortunate to win the special jury prize for the uh, international documentary category. So we were delighted with that. And yeah, it's been playing at other festivals since then. Um, we won the best documentary picture at the Brooklyn Film Festival. Wow, there in, nice. Uh, we had our Irish premiere at the Galway Film Fla in July, and it will play in Guth Gaffa uh, in a few days in in Kells, County Meath in Ireland, which is an excellent little festival, which I'm looking forward to as well. Wow, and you've got another festival coming up, which people will be able to. So I'm just going to point people to uh, Chris ChrisKellyFilm.com is your site, and and just stay stay tuned for for showings. It looks uh, coming up in September. There's going to be a, a film festival, a Cambodia Town Festival in California as well. We'll we'll call back to that later, I'm sure. But uh, you clearly have a busy schedule ahead of you. Yeah, it's been really busy, and we've got lots of other um, festivals um, that we're applying to in, in, in the works, so we're hoping good that it'll have a good, a good festival run and that we'll be able to get it out there, uh, seen by as many people as possible, and hopefully by as many Cambodian people as possible. Yes. We'll wait to go back if the Cambodian Film Festival will be able to show it uh, next year. We'll see. Oh, that's good. Good for you, man. So, so, so many festivals, so many uh, Q and A's. I would imagine uh, interviews with people like me, and and so on, and conversations in hallways. And this has been about a seven-year project for you. What, what, you know? And and a lot of people probably out there haven't seen the film yet, listening to this interview. What, what is, has it been? Kind of an overarching theme coming out of the conversations post post viewing Q and A, etc. Any themes? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's it's a nine-year project actually wow. in total, which is twenty-five percent of my waking life. Um, <laughs> so, it, it's definitely one of those passion projects. Um, the first feature documentary that I did, and yeah, I mean, it's been really reassuring. Most of the conversations, if not all, have been around the themes that I really wanted to talk about in the film. So, ideas about kind of solidarity. And what happens what to people when they come up against these kind of immo- immovable objects, such as like corrupt kleptocratic governments, and how opposition movements can f- fall apart because of you know jealousy and envy and human emotion and this kind of stuff. And people want to always 
try to find out like you know what what the deal was between the different characters um, because there's a certain kind of a rivalry in that that unfolds in the film and it's really just about um, you know people people make mistakes and we have to kind of forgive each other for that and and, it's, and people are fallible uh, there's not really any kind of simple narratives in life I don't think you don't have mm. this this either or black or white good versus evil dichotomy that we kind of structure our lives by is I think oversimplified and kind of dangerous and really what the film's trying to explore is this idea and that you know things are much more ambiguous and there's far many more shades of gray and there's good and bad in everybody and there's a lot of different elements at play and making and when people make the decisions that they do you know and that's really kind of what a lot of the conversations have been about and also about the the venerable Savat because he's such mm. a kind of an amazing and inspiring uh human rights defender from right from it wasn't quite a i suppose the establishing shot in the film but it was pretty darn close near the beginning this this utterly beautiful gorgeous and frankly alarming shot of all this water coming out of a pipe. I think you've got a pretty tight close up on it. You pull back if I remember correctly. It's been a little while since I've seen the film and you really, you hold on it and you get the sense that the film's going to be about the environment. And I guess in a way it is, but, but it's a variety of environments. I love what you said about not being either or it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, you know, we're kind of all in this together. Uh, There's no sort of simple answers. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation, but, but yeah, I got the sense that it was, going to be very specific about you know the environment but it kind of turns out to be a little more layered than that well yeah that's interesting um i mean that shot really kind of summarized for me the oppressive and unstoppable nature Mm. of what was going on in cambodia and yeah there's a lot of shifting landscapes you know really the film is kind of the physical landscape of the city changes drastically throughout the course of the six years that I was filming. You see all of these skyrise buildings going up while all of the slums are being decimated and destroyed and teared down and the lake itself gets filled in with sand. So over the six years, you see the, the lake gradually disappear and become a, become a kind of a sand pit. So you have these kind of crumbling, disintegrating physical landscapes that to me kind of represented in some ways the the psychology, the inner psychology of some of the characters in the film as well, because a lot of things kind of there, the protest movement also deteriorates and falls apart and these kinds of ideas about entropy and things get come into play. There's also, you know, the other landscape up in the countryside, the rural side of it, but the, it wasn't, yeah, the environment wasn't really something that we were going to focus on. Mm-hmm. It was much more to do with the characters, you know, placed inside those environments and, and right. what happens to them, you know. It just so happened that their environment slowly fell apart as the as the story unfolded. Well, and, and their environments on different levels too, right? It's at the, that's, that's kind of what I took. It wasn't just about, you know, the trees and the rivers and the land. This was about their social environments, their the, the you know, the, the religious environment, the, the political yeah. environment, you know. It's like you say, shifting landscapes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was always kind of those themes were always present in in filming and in structuring the edit. This um, these familial landscapes, the religious landscapes, the political landscape of modern Cambodia. I mean, we always wanted to try and create a film that looked at 
modern issues and what modern Cambodian society was about and the things that people were going through. Obviously, the Khmer Rouge has a cast a very long and dark shadow over all mm-hmm. of Cambodian society, and that's still very present, and people still suffer a lot because of that. But it's it we wanted to kind of step away from that and trying to step out of that shadow a little bit and focus on things as they were happening now and what the kind of the really pertinent issues were and what, what people were dealing with on a daily basis. I've been traveling to the country since about 2002, I think, 2003. And it's one, I mean, you could pr- pretty much say this about anywhere in the world, I suppose. You could parachute into Cambodia with a camera and you could create a documentary. Ba- you know, moments after landing, you could be well underway. It's just, it's that kind of place. Everyone has a rich, complicated, nuanced story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was that cliched traveler. Right. Uh, yeah, Chris, tell us tell us why Cambodia? What happened? Where what were you doing? Were you yeah, were you hitchhiking I mean, through the through the northern parts of Cambodia? I had yeah, I'd just been a I'd been a tourist on a on a tra- tourist visa traveling through China and Southeast Asia. Got to Cambodia and just became really kind of fascinated by the country. I think back then there were still a lot of dirt roads in Phnom Penh and it was a very kind of raw um, city and this was only 2006 you know it wasn't that long ago so I mean even you know people who were there in the 90s and that they, they seen a, even then a very different city um, yes. a very different country than what it was in 2006 but there was a an openness and a willingness to share from people and a kind of a you know but an awareness of this very dark and ambiguous past and you were, you never knew when you were speaking to someone you know over the age of 40 whether they were fighting for the Khmer Rouge or whether they were a victim of the Khmer Rouge. You know, there's a real kind of ambiguous nature to what I find there. And I just find it fascinating as a filmmaker and as someone who likes to kind of travel around and and look at things and observe and comment, taking photographs and all the rest of it. So we tried to get some funding uh, from the Irish Film Board and Northern Ireland Screen back where I was based in uh, Northern Ireland and we were successful in doing that and so we went out ostensibly for three months the plan was to shoot a kind of a talking head social issue documentary about forced evictions and land grabbing in Cambodia. So my brother and I went out on a recce to try and find participants to get involved in this um, very quickly met the Venerable Lone Savat, the monk, the multimedia monk, at a press conference, and he was there filming with his little Nokia N70 something other phone. Right. <laughs> and this was in 2009. Um, and I just felt, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the right approach. I didn't want to make a film where you have a you know everybody sitting sit down interviews describing these terrible things that happened to them in the past. I wanted to to be there and witness it as it all unfolded and to become part of it, become in a way part of the story. And so that was the decision that we made. We used the funding then to last as long as possible to be based in Cambodia and, and film events as, as it unfolds. And that's why it has quite a dramatic feel. I think the film, because a lot, all of the scenes are structured observationally and you're, you're witnessing these events unfold in real time. You're not listening to people tell you about it, what happened afterwards, you know, so it's a different kind of uh, documentary project. Is it, is there, um, is there for you, I mean, obviously for us people who are interested in Cambodia and the country and so on are going to be, you know, compelled. There's, there's reasons to, to be interested. There's reasons to want to watch a film like this. But are there, are there, would you say, um, I mean, this is a film about justice. It's about compassion. It's about unity and trust and relationships and power and speaking truth to power and all those things. 
are there global lessons here that you're hoping people are taking away uh, from 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 the Q and A's from the from the viewings and so on? The, yeah, the, the 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 high school students that are going to write essays about your film in in, in twenty years, Chris. Well, I mean, God, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's lessons. I think. I mean, there's two there's two kinds of worlds in the film. There's the micro of the kind of interpersonal world, which I think is totally universal. What you see when you see fear and you see see strength and solidarity, or you see envy and, and you see things falling apart, that happens everywhere. That's something that you understand within your own family dynamic or within your friends and the relationships that you have as an individual growing up. And, and in any society, I think these are, the film was intentionally trying to capture these very universal human truths mm -hmm. about the nature of relationships and, you know, struggles for power and, and this kind of stuff. And um, But at the same time, the, the macro geopolitical picture is one where you see this kind of very uninclusive, destructive development being kind of forced on the poorer parts of society by the, the wealthy and the well-connected and by governments that are kind of callous and uncaring. The exact same thing is happening in uh, the UK. Even when we were at, at the at Hot Dogs in Toronto, there was um, – an amazing film by a Toronto filmmaker called uh, Unarmed Verses, which is essentially the same film set in a suburb in Toronto where uh, communities are being forced out and displaced in, to make way for you know new condos and all the rest of it. it, it the, this kind of development is happening everywhere, so that it has an absolutely global relevance. And also you have individuals coming up against unaccountable institutions like the World Bank, uh, and actually managing to hold them to account, and so there's a lot there's a lot to learn there, no matter where you're from, and about um, how communities and individuals can group together and actually exact change and force the hands of these large and and very un uncaring institutions like the World Bank. The um, there, I think it's Tep Vanny, is that the name? Uh, That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I think. The, the phrase was this is this is a fake democracy and, yeah right and and i mean in just to sort of riff off what you've just said about toronto and the uk and other places it, and especially you know with what's happening in the us currently and this whole notion of supposedly fake news um you know from trump and so on i mean to what degree do you think we're all living in a bit of a fake democracy you know we've got this idea of how we get people into power and then it's you know the simple observation is that it no longer is democratic after that you know what i mean well yeah absolutely i mean you have to call that was part of you know the film starts with a title card explaining how the un installed um a free market economy and and democratic elections in a country that never had them before and didn't necessarily want or need them in a way, the the kleptocracy and the corruption and the fake democracy that you see in Cambodia is more honest and true, um, and and less obfuscating than what we have in the West. Mm. I think the exact same kinds of corruption exists here. Uh, it, it's just more subtle and therefore more dangerous because it's harder to spot. So it's you know you need to kind of you need to be really have your eyes peeled here in the West to, to, to know and understand what it is that the, the governments and politicians are actually up to in big business because it, there's just the same amount of uh, corruption and kleptocracy, I would say, but it's just not 
it's not as visible because they're better at hiding it. Well, you know, I've worked in development a long time and people love to who are critics of, oh, you know, the larger NGOs that are doing, you know, what I would argue is pretty great work around the world. Lots of problems, lots of issues without a doubt. But everyone loves to label, you know, play the corruption card. But the, yeah. like, but to your point, I mean, the, the pernicious and insidious nature of the corruption that's occurring here in countries where we, you know, often might think, oh, it's not, it's going on, but it's not really going on. Those are the countries over there. That are that are so corrupt. I mean, it's the shine, the light shining on our own our own darkness, our own space. Yeah, certainly, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, I think it's uh, it's a little bit um, imperialistic to kind of you know point the finger over at the develop, mm. develop, developing world, uh, which is underdeveloped because of um, the, the power dynamics that have existed since the industrial revolution. Um, and I'm not be willing to accept that, you know, there's a huge amount of corruption at home and that democracy, yeah, it's, I mean, people say it's just two wolves and a sheep deciding what to have for dinner. So I'm not sure how fair, how good a system it really is when you have such rising inequality and, uh, the political malaise that we have in here in the UK. I mean, you've got a government that's propped up by the DUP in Northern Ireland, where I'm from. By essentially because they took a two billion pound bribe, there's no other word for it really. It's pretty, it's pretty sickening. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I and I think I th- don't don't we sort of because so many of us seem to be oh I don't know I mean I guess it's status quo isn't it is it is it being satisfied with mediocrity is that why we aren't pushing back more often than not? It's a very complicated question. Yeah, I mean, what, yes. Is it status quo? I mean, people have been the media is a very successful propaganda tool for for the powers that be. I guess you know, I mean, not conspiratorial or anything, right. but I think people tend to just eke out their existence, you know, because they've been able to just about survive. But I mean, when you see the the level of cuts that have come here in the UK from the the Tory governments, people are starting to get angrier. They're just because it is more subtle and insidious and, and less obvious and less on the surface and harder to harder to kind of pinpoint here in the West, I think it's harder for people to get angry about it. But you do see now, I think there's a growing protest movement. It's just whether people are going to do those kind of, you know, 18 to 35 year old male, female, non-voting population, whether they want to actually get up and do something and vote and use the democratic system that they're bought into. And, and bring about change, you know. But whether people will do that or not here, it's harder to say. The more cuts there are and the poorer people are and the, the rising levels of poverty and inequality will certainly push people in that direction. I think in the film, is it is it the Venerable Sabat who says, the uh, you know, he's talking about the families, I think, uh, he says, see it, film it. You know, these, these images tell the truth. Is that is that the quote? Well, he says, see it, film it, change it. Yeah, yes. Which, a, which is the slogan of uh, witness.org, which is a New York-based uh, NGO that does very good work helping human rights defenders all over the world, film protests, forced evictions, police brutality, that, that kind of stuff. They've worked everywhere, you know, from the Middle East to Africa to Southeast Asia. And so he was at one of their galas as a guest of honor. And that's, he just was... I guess <laughs> promoting their their, um, do, their slogan. 
do, do you do you believe that the images do tell the truth? As a as a, as if as if well, I mean, photographer, filmmaker, documentarian, you know, award winning documentarian now. <laughs> you know, yeah. is is a picture worth a thousand words, Chris? Um, again, <laughs> no. I mean, a, a photograph is always a symbol, really, isn't yeah. it? Um, it's they good. can they can be taken hugely out of context. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of very interesting film work done about the power of images to manipulate and change, rewrite histories and things. So there is definitely an inherent power in images that that can be much more persuasive than, you know, text. And people, you know, look at Twitter, people don't read anymore, do they? Like everybody wants everything to be instantly consumable and understandable. So images in that sense do have a kind of a, uh, a power over words. But... They, they do change things, I think. In Cambodia, you see a lot of people filming. Mm. You know, you'll see that in my film at protests. Everybody has camera phones and everybody's filming. And now the well, isn't, that, isn't that on the poster even? Isn't that a yeah. – and I'm yeah, not yeah. looking at it right now, but there's a shot of a car burning, I think, and there's a – in the bottom corner, there's somebody got a phone up kind of framing the yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's pervasive in Cambodia. It's part of kind of – it's part of public life now. If something if something happens to you in public, you can expect it to be filmed by about a dozen people at least, if it's of any interest. And what happens to that afterwards, I think, is kind of crucial and key. A lot of it disappears. I know when I was trying to find footage of things that I was filming for my film, when I was trying to find other angles of things from people, all of those people who were there, it was very difficult because mostly that stuff was just left on hard drives and then deleted. Right. But people like the Venerable are actually using the technology in an interesting way. He's often filming uh, on Facebook Live now during protests and things, so it's very difficult for the authorities to shape the narrative of what's going on when he's there filming and it's going out live and he's got 100,000 people on Facebook watching as it happens and this this kind of explosion of social media that's taken over in uh, Cambodia has had a huge role to play in kind of awakening the political consciousness of the young people in Cambodia and that's what kind of that was one of the things that was instrumental in bringing the uh, political crisis uh, of 2013 after the elections the reason you had so many people out on the streets was because they were all connected on social media they were watching things you know every single media station in Cambodia is state-owned or state-run and they do not publish anything to do with the opposition party the day Sam Rainsy returned from exile there was 130,000 people on the streets of Phnom Penh it did not make it into any of the state broadcasters well it's remarkable and it's well as you say Facebook live it's remarkable what what social media can do and will continue to do it seems to me and and I mean isn't isn't it one of the benefits of globalization yeah of course I mean everything you know it would be, it would be um, contradictory of me to say that the, the, all these things are all just bad of course there's many benefits to these things and and we in the West don't see them as keenly because we don't need them as much. Yeah, it's good. It's true. Yeah, we they're they're more sort of they're they're time wasters. They're more they're more frivolous yeah. sort of in tone and scope. Yeah, it's very throwaway. Whereas people in places like Cambodia, where the media is totally state controlled, um, in a less sophisticated way than you might argue it is here in the West, then it's they are able to use social media as a much more powerful tool, and it does enliven 
change and it, it connects people who have similar feelings but were not necessarily able to not aware that there were so many other people around feel, that felt the same way and so it was able to really embolden and strengthen the protest movement that happened that started in 2013 the political protest movement which was i believe a direct result of the land rights protest movement that the venerable and tip Fanny and Sri po were instrumental in, in creating over those six years that I was filming. I don't, you know, when I got to Cambodia in 2009, I'm not sure what your experience was, but people wouldn't say anything bad about Hun Sen or Bon Rainey. Mm -hmm. to, to see hundreds of thousands of people marching through the streets with posters saying, you know, Hun Sen stepped down, that was a, that was a massive sea change. Oh, it's been, it's been a remarkable, to see the development, in, and I mean it both metaphorically and literally with, as you referred to earlier, the buildings and the construction itself and the sort of the city of Phnom Penh itself, the proper city, I guess you could say, but also, yeah, yeah this just, just as that shift in, in, in culture and, and position, ideology, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it was always kind of there, um, yes. but they, people were afraid to say it. You know, there has always been a large protest opposition movement, but it wasn't uh, very vocal. And they, you know, a lot of the protesters were being quite ironic when they were walking around with their Hun Sen and Bon Rainey t-shirts and placards saying, please protect us, God King. They knew very well that he was responsible for the, the evictions that they were fighting against, but this is the kind of this is the kind of charade that they have to play in order to make sure that, at the time, in order to make sure that they weren't being accused of being against the ruling party because it was essentially a kind of a de facto communist ruling party for a long time. I love uh, a couple couple things. There's so much to talk about here, Chris. We're we're just so not going to have enough time, and I think we're clearly going to have to do part two. But I have oh. to refer to one shot where uh, uh, I forget some somebody I might have been venerable so that and 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 that there was a tuk tuk and there was a an advertisement on the back of the tuk tuk FBJ ideas into motion, and, okay. and and I've I've seen that I've seen that advertisement many times on the back of a moto or the back of a motorbike or in a tuk tuk, and and it was just Talk about talk about the irony in the context of, of what you were doing in the Cambodian Spring. I thought it was marvelous. Well, you know, I've never noticed that, so there you go. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, I can't. It's it's near the it's near the beginning of the film. I do know that maybe fifteen or twenty minutes in, but uh, yeah. Okay. I'll have to look out for that then. So there you go. There's an extra layer of unintended meaning that's been it's just that you've just discovered. Authorial intention. Um. <laughs> I love to, you know, how you kind of, the way you end the film, we're in the garment district, there's a strike, there's a march, the yeah. protests and so on. And, and, and the, 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 again, maybe Tepani, I'm not sure, but the quote, this isn't about politics. It's about, it's, it's, it's about life. It's, we're, we're not necessarily against the government. We're, we just want justice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was Venerable Savak who said okay. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's a remarkable person. You know, he always he really kind of, he really is. I love how you call him a multimedia monk. He, there can't be too yeah. many of those in the world. No, I don't think so. There's not so many. I mean, the amount of gadgets and stuff that he has is unbelievable. He has always <laughs> you know, the the iPhones and hidden cameras, hidden glasses, cameras, and everything, and like really nice digital SLRs and nice radio mics. And he's always asking me like what equipment I'm using and getting me to show him how to do things on Final Cut Pro or whatever. He's a real, he's a real pro. Great. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's remarkable in that he's, he's always stuck to what he set out to do. So from the very first day I met him, you know, he was always saying like, 
what he's doing is not wrong. It's not against the Buddhist precepts. It's not against Buddhist law or religious law or international law or the Cambodian national law. He's always kind of maintained that the work of a human rights defender and the role of a Buddhist monk are, are intimately intertwined and essentially one and the same. And, and he calls it engaged Buddhism, where, you know, people say, like, it's the monk's role is not to be quiet in the pagodas. It's actually to be out in society. Monks were, for a long time, the moral compass of Cambodian society. But after Hun Sen took power and, well, after the Khmer Rouge, they were kind of decimated and Hun Sen took power and he... he bestowed Tep Vong, the leader of the, the Cambodian Buddhist Sangha, with the title of the Great Supreme Patriarch. I think it was the first time in about 150 years that that title had been given to anyone. And so he's kind of paid off the hierarchy of the religious order in order to toe the line, to toe the party line. Um, and so, you know, monks were for a long time not allowed to vote in the elections and things like that. And any protests were very quickly quashed and monks get defrocked and imprisoned a lot. Um, but the venerable always maintained, he never, you know, he never led protests. He never got involved in the protests. He always stood back. He, he always kind of was there with his cameras documenting and, and then, you know, disseminating the, the documents and the films and everything that he made. He was originally uh, a painter, so he, he kind of just he put down his paintbrushes and picked up a camera. It seemed like such a natural thing for him to do. Well, and clearly if he's a, he's a painter, he must be a bit of a poet, and, and, and he, yeah. he's, he's, he's into detail. I mean, the kingdom of wonder, does it get any better? Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, he studied, I think, Western and Eastern philosophy at university, Um so he's very well read. He's very he's very intelligent. Um, yeah, very interesting. Well, guy. it's you know he says at one point, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but he said something to the effect of, "They say that a monk shouldn't care about um, the people's problems." I disagree. And I mean, if that's not kind of a mantra for all of us, it seems to me, you know, globally, this isn't about the government necessarily. This is about justice. This is about caring for others. This is about reaching out. This is about splash and ripple. This is about you know, how, how are we going to make a difference and move the needle, you know, towards greater positive social change? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, in, yeah, he, call, he calls it engaged Buddhism, but it's, it's exactly that. It's just about equality and, and not, you know, you hear it a lot of the times in Cambodia, we're all Khmer, why are Khmer fighting Khmer? You know, right. we don't need to do this. Like, it, because the people are aware that like the the nature of power is corrupting, you know, and it, it's it, it breeds violence and it, it breeds oppression. Um, and you know, there's that great quote from Marwell about a boot stamping on a human face forever, and that's kind of some that's kind of the feeling you get sometimes when you when you're looking at the the Cambodian government and how things are the current ruling party government anyway, and how things are developing there. Well, you know, I, I, we're, I, I guess we should, we should probably wrap it up, Chris, but I, I just, again, I want to say congratulations on the film and, and what a, what a testament to the, the, the partnership that the two of you really formed. I mean, I'd love to hear more about the, the, uh, the, the friendship that must have, must have developed between the two of you and what you've learned, uh, you know, from, from him. It sounds like a great deal. And, uh, and I think that's a real, real wonderful metaphor too for all of us, you know, the, uh, those of us here and those of us there, you know, 
it is it has got to be you know if we're gonna if we're gonna make significant change of, with with respect to human rights and, and and development and gender disparity and all these things there's going to be have to have to be a better conversation between the north and the south that's for sure and I think that's what I what I really loved about Cam- a Cambodian Spring it was about a country and people that I love a great deal this kingdom of wonder but it's also this beautiful brilliant uh, and gorgeous metaphor for for change of all kinds. Yeah, it's a, it's real. Yeah, it's about hope. I mean, the yeah, film, it, you're right. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it can feel a bit hopeless at times when you see what people suffer through and what they go through. But like the human spirit endures, you know, and and we we kind of we we carry on, and that's really what it's about. Like, there's not these these dark corporate entities won't last forever, but you know, humans we hope will outlive them, and that you know, when people do come together, they're much stronger than when they're on their own. Uh, and that's kind of really, I guess that's really kind of the message of the film. And I hope that when the, the ladies of Bangkok get to see it, they'll, it might, you know, encourage them to put their personal differences aside and, and get back together and get behind something that they all you know, really cared about for a very long time. Well, I hope so too. And I hope, I hope that next year they do get to show it at the film festival and who knows, maybe I'll be, uh, be able to be in town for it. Wouldn't that be remarkable? And yeah, yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. That'd be awesome. And, and just, uh, two for, for everyone listening, Cambodia town film festival.com, uh, September 14th to 17th happening in, uh, that's in San Francisco, is it? In Long Beach. Long Beach. Thank you. And you're off to, uh, to Ireland for, for a couple of days. So congrats on that again. And Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, okay. for, uh, our, our, guest, our guest today, Chris Kelly, talking about his uh, award-winning film, A Cambodian Spring. Uh, keep your eyes peeled and posted. We're going to have some more information on the site. Uh, but uh, it looks like there's there's a few more film festivals to go. So th- thanks again, Chris. It's been a, a, a real pleasure. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, David. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.